You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, we invite you to keep your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 5 and invite you to do so right now if you didn't bring a copy of God's Word. For those of you who are in the room, we invite you to turn to page 1162. There's a pew Bible right in front of you. Go ahead and take that and turn to page 1162 and you can see whether I'm telling the truth or not. We are looking at a series entitled His Worship Matters. And so we're going to be looking at some of the habits of worship in the days to come. And for those of you who are worshiping online, just a programming note, you're going to find two distinct services. For those who worship with us on live stream, you're going to see what happens in the room. Your service will be a little more extended. But for those who are worshiping via Facebook, that's going to be a different service designed for outsiders, a little shortened music, a little shortened sermon. And so we invite you to turn to either one of those. But for those of you who are part of our church family, you want to uh, use the Facebook service to share with others, we invite you to do so in the coming days as you get on social media. Maybe you're known as a Christian at your workplace. People may know you as a Christian in your family, family gatherings. Have you ever had this question? Someone comes up to you and says, you know, I've known one of you Christians or several of you Christians for several years, and despite your beliefs, you're all as messed up as I am, as we all are. What do you say to that? Well, one of the reasons that we're hypocrites is because our beliefs have not made its way into character. Our beliefs have not made the way down into character. See, beliefs are not pixie dust. I can't just have a belief and have a changed life. Character is a changed life. So how do I get belief down into my character? And one of the ways you do that is worship. We want to be real practical in this couple of Sundays by looking at singing this morning and sermons a week from today. For generations, Christians have gathered in worship, and we've gathered in the practice of singing, and we've gathered in the midst of a message. How can these two things make a difference in my life? Well, singing was going to bring, and preaching, worshiping, both practice in public and in private, will take my beliefs and make them into my character. God has given us, throughout the pages of the Scripture, spiritual disciplines or holy habits, whichever you prefer. Those habits are Bible reading, prayer, singing, preaching. These are the practices that Christians have done all over the globe, all over the time span. And when we do these, something powerful happens. It takes my belief and makes it into character. And we'll do it overnight. We'll do it like one time. I will not lose weight and have rock-solid abs by a five-minute workout, will I? Neither am I going to have beliefs into character by doing it just a few times. So I want to get really practical with you. I'm going to look at how we sing and why we sing in the moments to come. In fact, I want to share with you five reasons why you should sing. Now, I recognize the irony of this. In the midst of a pandemic, that individuals have felt that singing in church is uh, toxic. In fact, singing is illegal both in North Korea and in California. Both of those locations feel that singing in church is something that will spread the pandemic. 
So we want to be safe about this. We don't have to get in front of someone and spew. We can do this in social distance, and we can do this with common sense, as my professor said, isn't all that common. Five reasons why we should sing. First, we sing because God commands it. We sing because God commands it. Did you know that God commands that you sing? In fact, in the pages of your Bible, if you were to take a marker, beginning in Genesis, go all the way to Revelation, more than 40 times in the pages of Scripture, the Bible commands that you sing. Just as God commands that you not murder, God commands that you sing. Just as God commands that you not lie, God commands that you sing praise to him. Now, this isn't singing in the shower. This isn't whistling while I work. It is coming together as a people in singing. God commands that you do that. Now, as we think about that for just a moment, the Bible commands it in ways like this. Over in James chapter 5, it's a book in your New Testament tucked away. You'll find on the screen, the Bible says this, is anyone cheerful, let him sing. There's one of our commands that we're called to sing together, the power of singing together. Now, you may think that just because God commands it, what does that matter? My parents commanded that I would eat lima beans back in the day. I shall not be moved, right? I ain't going to eat those things. Just because you command it does not make it real. But here's a, here's a statement I gave you several weeks ago, and I want to repeat. His commands are not for his benefit. His commands are for your benefit. His commands are not for his benefit, his commands are for your benefit. Studies have shown that by singing, singing can release cortisol, which is reduces my stress. It increases my happiness. Singing can have a physiological impact upon me, studies have shown. In fact, as we look at this aspect of singing, when we talk about God commanding it, the Bible says right there in verse 19, look at it with me. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. Now, if you direct your attention from verse 19 back to verse 18, I want you to notice something. This is a command. We see it in verse 19. But look, pick up the train of thought. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, what, is, what does a Spirit-filled person look like? There's going to be five participles in verses 19, 20, and 21 that's going to define it. This isn't the Baptist definition. This isn't Scott's definition. This comes straight from the pages of Scripture. And that's why I say almost every week you've got to have a copy of God's Word to see if I'm lying. Look at it with me. Verse 19, what does a spirit-filled person look like? Well, they will address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They will sing, that's your second word, addressing, singing, and making melody. There's our third word, to the Lord with our heart. Fourth, giving thanks always in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And fifth, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Those are the five, five particulars of a spirit-filled life. I want to focus for the moments to come on this command that we are to sing. And again, we're to sing because God commands it. Now, why does that matter? Not only does it do something physiological to me, but the Bible says that we're to sing directly to him. You know, in this room, when we come together for worship, you're not the audience. He's the audience. There's an audience of one. In fact, all that goes on in worship, the Bible's going to teach us, it's going to happen for eternity. We're going to worship Christ 
It's eternal. All the other things that we think are important in life will drop away. But this one thing, worship, matters for eternity. And so we're to directly bring praise to God. Again, it's not for my benefit, or it's not for his benefit, but for mine. Years ago, C.S. Lewis, at that time an agnostic, was a professor at both Cambridge and Oxford in differing years. So he, because he was a professor of literature, he was reading the Bible, and he read the book of Psalms, which is that big book in the middle of your Bible. And he would come across this command that God demands and commands that we praise him. And he said, recorded in his book, Reflection on the Psalms, it's like an author of a book demanding and fishing for a compliment. He said that when he read it, it reminded him of a, of a vain woman who was fishing for a compliment from others. Now, few things are as off-putting as someone fishing for you to say something nice about them. But let me ask you something. If you were to release a new book, would it matter to you that your dog barked his approval of your work? Would that matter? I would think that if your new book could be understood by a dog, I don't need to finish that sentence. <laughs> Why is it you think that complimenting God does something for him any more than a dog barking his approval at my work would. That's how far down in intelligence you and I are. In fact, when we talk about God commanding our praise, again, let me say this, it is for our benefit, not for his benefit. God can tell us this. In fact, when we look at this, look at verse 19 again. The Bible says, sing and make melody to the Lord with our heart. Now, how does that benefit us? Well, have you ever noticed how we compliment things that we enjoy to compliment, we enjoy to brag? If you get a, some old man in the room, you get some cool old car, and you put a Hemi engine in it, what are you going to do? You're going to pop the hood, and you're going to invite everybody over to look at the Hemi. If your sports teams win, let's say the Cowboys finally win a Super Bowl again, like in my lifetime, all right? <laughs> you're going to call up, and you're going to text and you're going to meet all the other sports fans in the NFL that the Cowboys have won, and we are the greatest again, all that kind of stuff. If you guys in the room get some good-looking girl to go out with you, you're going to snap a picture of that, and you're going to put it on Instagram or some other social media, and you're going to brag. Here in a few weeks, we're going to be hopefully bragging, if maybe a few months, about a cool, crisp bay with a high of 72, or perhaps we'll be complimenting someone who's come up with a vaccine for this virus. To enjoy something, the second half of it is to compliment something, is to brag about something. God demands and commands that we praise him because it is for our enjoyment and our benefit. When he does it, he understands that anything that we truly enjoy, we're going to brag and we're going to compliment. That's just instinctual to us. Now watch this. The thing that we're to brag about is more important than vaccines, girlfriends, championship, and the temperature of a day. We're to sing and we're to praise God himself. As I said to you a week ago, I repeat, every one of us has an adoration apparatus, a little piece of us. According to Romans 1, every single human being has an adoration apparatus. And if you put your apparatus in the door of that which is great and mighty, God himself, your adoration apparatus will expand. 
just like your stomach. If you eat a bunch, it expands. If you don't eat, it becomes nothing. But if you attach your adoration apparatus to anything other than God, then it's going to shrink. God has called upon you to sing because he commands. Here's the second reason we're to sing. We're to sing because it encourages others. We're to sing because it encourages the back in verse 19. We focus on the back half. Now move your eyes and your attention to the front half. We are to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And again, in the midst of a pandemic, I don't think this means that I'm to turn and face you and sing at a six-inch distance so that you need windshield wipers, right? But something, something happens when I hear you sing, it encourages me. Some in the room in this have enough experience that you were at Promise Keepers at the old Texas Stadium several decades ago. Wasn't that the 90s? And if you were there, and I was there, about 50,000 men came together to sing. About 10 years ago in Louisville, Kentucky, a group of about 5,000 pastors came together. And I don't remember so much what was said. I remember the singing. We sang together. Those promise keepers, you guys, you sing together. Every year in January, we have our winter Bible conference. And even though I'm the one that organizes the speakers, you know what I remember from those? The passion of the singing. We sing because it encourages others. Do you think, this is a question, so I'm going to ask you a question and let you know that I'm asking you a question so that you'd respond, because I've been your pastor now for eight plus years, okay? I love you. Do you think we need encouragement in America today? Yes. Yeah. I need to hear you sing, and you need to hear me sing. I'm going to, I'm going to put my crosshairs on men for just a moment. Because men in particular, your children need to hear you sing. They need to hear you sing praise to God. By the way, I remember when my father would whistle, and I remember his singing. I remember my grandfather singing some of the songs of his generation. There's something that happens in a family. Your wife needs to hear you fan the flames of faith. This community needs to hear you fan the flames of faith by singing. We need this encouragement. We need this. Now, lest you think that this is an extra, this is an, an optional thing like lane assist on a car, we're going to be praising no matter what we do. Do you know who the name Jonas Salk is? Jonas Salk? Jonas Salk from the University of Pittsburgh, Saul Polio. You think we're fearful. Can you imagine your children not being able to walk? John Salt came out of nowhere, developed the vaccine, changed America for us. Somebody's going to be the John Salt, God willing, of this thing. Do you think that we're going to praise that scientist a little bit? See, it's instinctual that we praise. It's instinctual that we compliment. It's instinctual that we brag. And I'm wanting you to direct your attention to the one with a capital O that matters most because it encourages others. I need to hear you sing. I have a burden as a church that we sing. You need to, well, you probably don't want to hear me sing, but you need to hear me sing. I remember as a young boy in my house in Alabama, 
mom would sing. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. It's an old song, new in the day. His eyes on the sparrow, that's the name of the song. Comes from a statement that Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, or Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, God's eyes are on the sparrow. Let me think about it. Who's watching sparrows? Nobody's watching sparrows. Who cares what a sparrow does? Probably some government think tank based on your tax dollars are tracking sparrows all over America. I'm going to go to work for a couple hours tomorrow to pay for that. But think of truthfully now, sparrows. Who cares where a sparrow is? And that's Jesus' point. If God's focus is on a sparrow, then he knows about you. He knows about your ups and your downs. You sing because it encourages others. Third, you sing because you'll remember it. You sing because you'll remember it. Just a moment, we're going to be over in Deuteronomy chapter 31, a, a fantastic little scripture I want to give you. But have you been around an elderly person who's lost their memory through some sort of mental deterioration? You talk to them and you get no reaction, most a blank face. The diseases of the mind are so discouraging. But all of a sudden, you bring music in of their era. And all of a sudden, a blank face is no longer blank. All of a sudden, they have recognition. And they're singing, even though they don't know their children's names, all of a sudden they're singing and they get the words right. God saw that coming. He calls upon us to sing because we're remembering. He tells Moses, back in Deuteronomy chapter 31, I'm going to write this covenant. I give you the covenant. What's a covenant? A covenant's a big deal. It's such a big deal that he wants them to remember it. So then he tells Moses, verse 19 of chapter 31, now therefore write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people. God knew that we have this tendency to slide away from him. Did you know that? Left to yourself, you will slide away from God. And so he knew we had that tendency. So he writes a song, God does, and he gives it to Moses. He said, I want you to teach this song to the people. Who knew that God was a composer of music? Wouldn't you like to hear that song? I bet that's better than what they're playing today. Why would he call upon us to sing? Here's why. Because we remember that which we sing. I bet you were taught the alphabet, your ABCs, by a song. The power of it. God knew there was inherent power in music, and that's why he commands us to sing. That's why if you're going to be a stalwart Christian, if you're going to rid yourself of hypocrisy, then you're going to sing praise to God. Why? Because he commands it. Secondly, because he encourages others. Third, because you'll remember it. You'll remember it. Here's the fourth. Fourth reason you're to sing. You're to sing because you're clean. What does that mean? A man named Calvin. Calvin uh, had a drug habit. He was addicted to crack cocaine. For the better part of four years, every time Calvin would get paid on a Friday, by his own testimony, he would take that paycheck and he would be on the search for a fix in the city of Brooklyn. What's remarkable is this father, Calvin, and husband, his family stayed with him for much of it. But in the midst of that, a church by the name of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. Calvin walked in that church. He said, prior to that, I'd done so many things outside my frame of mind. 
But he heard the gospel. He heard what Jesus did for him. Something powerful happened in Calvin's life. Came to faith in Christ. And it took him a while to get cleaned up, to get free of the addiction of crack. But Calvin moved inside that church to the choir, a famous choir, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Calvin's voice was so good that he moved from just being addicted to crack that he even won Grammys for his music. You can find him on YouTube. He sang because he was clean. I don't mean just clean from addiction. Look what Psalm 40 says, beginning in verse 2. The Bible says it this way. You are, look at this, he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock. Don't we need our feet set on solid ground in our day? God does that. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Then he says, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Well, pastor, that's fantastic for Calvin, but I'm clean. Really? If I had the technology to bring nearly the 8 billion people alive in the earth, almost the 8 billion, assemble them in one place so that our eye could see all 8 billion, if I had the technology to take the individual goodness out of every single one of those 8 billion people and collectively put that goodness into just one person, I follow the logic, that one person would still need to kneel at the cross of Jesus. You need rescued. You need redeemed. You may not be addicted to crack, but you're addicted to some sinful tendency. Most people I run into are addicted to themselves. To quote the great football player T.O., I love me some me. That's more addicted to crack than ever been. You need rescued. You need redeemed. There is no one in this room who is so bad that God cannot redeem them and rescue them. There's no one in this room so good or online that you need not Jesus to rescue and redeem you. If you've been rescued and redeemed, if you've been plucked out of your miry mess and put on a secure footing, you sing, you praise. That's what we do. In fact, what we're talking about here, we're talking about more important things than even coronavirus and what's going on in the news and who gets elected. Look, we're talking about heaven and hell, Jesus and God and salvation. This, this stuff's too important to say, well, let's just have a discussion about it. Let's have a committee talk about it and have a, a second on that. No, these are type of things that reach down inside of you and cause you to sing and praise. If we're going to praise the people, and rightly so, who get us out of a pandemic, surely we would rescue the person who's redeemed us and changed our lives. I have a burden that we sing. Here's the fifth and the last reason we sing. We sing only because we're clean. We sing because heaven sings. Did you know that heaven sings? In Job chapter 38, you might want to write that down. I think it's in verse 6. You check, see if my memory is what it used to be. The Bible says, bidding on your translation, either sons of God or angels, sons of God or angels, sang at creation. Think about that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God keeps saying, and let there be, and let there be vegetation, humans, and Adam and Eve, and animals, and birds, and 
He's flinging stars and galaxies, and he's bringing worlds into place. And the Bible says when all that's happening, can you hear it? The angels sing. They're, they're looking over the shoulder of God, and they're saying, this is too great just to sit here. I've pastored for 20-plus years, and I've been in a lot of worship services. And again, I'm putting my cross here on men because many of you men are, must be in an American Idol tryout to be the next contestant on Mount Rushmore. Let that sink there for just a minute and put that together. The angels watched God's actions and they said, this is too great to discuss it. They sang. But not only did the angels sing, the Bible says God sings. There's a little book tucked away at the end of your Old Testament named Zephaniah. Now get it right, there's Zephaniah and Zechariah. When you get to heaven one day, Please don't make these prophets wear name tags, okay? I want you to know them before, especially if you're part of our church. You say, well, Pastor Scott taught me, and I don't have a clue who you are. Zephaniah, for the majority of his book, he's talking about how God's going to judge things. But then at the end, he does something powerful. He says this in verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst. He's a mighty one. More on that in just a moment. A mighty one will save you. He will, look at the three things. He will rejoice over you. He will quiet you with his love. And he will exult over you with loud singing. Now hold that verse there for just a moment. Put your eyes on it. Those three words in English in the second line, a mighty one. It's a, it's a metaphor that God is using that he's a warrior. He's a soldier. One of the greatest men in all the scriptures is a man named David. If David, the young David, were alive, he's special forces, he's Navy SEALs, he's a door kicker, he's a man's man. And yet that David is also known as the sweet singer of Israel. You see, you don't have to be one or the other. You could be the most masculine guy in the room. You can be the Texas Ranger, the Chuck Norris type. But you can also be one who sings praise to God. And look what happens here. This mighty one, rather than judging you, he will redeem you and rescue you. And he gets so happy over that, the Bible says his happiness, he sings over him. Can you imagine that? Jesus said on one occasion, that when a sinner repents of his sin or her sin, there's joy in the presence of the angels. And I'm quoting it nearly exactly. I did not say the angels are joyful. I said there's joy in the presence of the angels. Jesus is telling us what Zephaniah has told us, what one individual called this, the John 3, 16, the Old Testament, that God so loves to rescue you rather than judging you, rather than throwing you in a heap of ruin, rather than just throwing your life away, he'd love to pull you up by the grace of God through the cross of Jesus Christ and assemble your life in such a way that he would love you so greatly that he would sing over you. If the angel's voice is, is something worthy to be heard, how much more than the voice of God? Charles Spurgeon said that we who are believers, this is a dress rehearsal for heaven. Every time you come together, it's a dress rehearsal for heaven. If you don't like singing, you better get your pipes ready for heaven. 
Because by reading of Revelation, we're going to do a little bit of it. We're going to be complimenting and bragging and praising the greatness of God. Every so often, it's a song that gets on my mind. A man named Edwin wrote it. It's a 200-year-old hymn that he revamped. He won a Grammy for it. I bet you know it. I bet you've heard it. Ray Charles sang it. Aretha Franklin would sing it. It's been on movies. The Nutty Professor. Sister Act, prominently. It's a 200-year-old hymn revamped. It's based on Acts chapter 8, verse 35. When an evangelist and deacon shares the gospel with a black man, and that man from Ethiopia comes to know Christ. He's clean, he's forgiven. Do you know it? Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Be thankful I'm not going to sing it. When Jesus washed your sins away. I'm telling you, I can't think of anything happier in 2020 than to sing that Jesus Christ is alive, he's risen, he's crucified for me, he's rescued and redeemed me. And my voice will one day join his voice and the angels' voices. Will your voice be there? Have you come to the place where you've embraced Christ by faith? Or are you still trying to work your way there? Well, if you work your way into heaven, who are you going to sing to? You? You'll get in front of a mirror for eternity and say, boy, you look good. You are good, Scott. Boy, I can't believe how you got your stuff together. You know, that ain't heaven. That's hell. That's hell. It's Jesus Christ who changed our lives. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.